Hello, and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we dive deep into Wildbo's most forgotten work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back to talk about Signature 8.5. The arc of our nameless protagonist continues. Um, and I really like the first line of this uh, arc, uh, mm. chapter, I suppose. Uh, it's italicized, which is kind of like it's ex Maggie thinking this funny little witticism to herself, which I like. <laughs> uh, and she thinks, from the witch's hut to meeting Hansel and Gretel, which is just like, it, it puts us back in the fairy tale mindset, obviously, it, it, and it also kind of hints at who we're going to meet, because of all the characters that we know, obviously, none of them really fit the Hansel and Gretel motif, except for the witch hunters. Um, yeah. It's like a little teaser. It's awesome. No, you're right. It's really clever. It reminds us where we were. Like, it instantly reminds us about all of the Crone Mara horror shit. <laughs> uh, it instantly, like, Hansel and Gretel, I think most people probably instantly tied that to Andy and, and Eva. Yeah. Did you, uh, that that clicked for you? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, I couldn't remember if it had clicked for me the first time around, and obviously I kind of understood that this was going to happen, or in the in the broad sense I knew the characters a little bit better this time around, because obviously we haven't really, we've interacted with Andy in like one chapter, and Ava has had like maybe one paragraph, and that's kind of it. <laughs> Yeah, um, but I, I guess they've always been kind of fascinating. So it was there were a set of characters I was wanted to learn more about. Mm. But uh, yeah, no, but yeah, I like this. I like this opening line because it reminds us where we've been. It sort of tells us where we're going, and really like fits in with sort of ex Maggie's train of thought and what she thinks of these people. Uh, like it, it's doing a lot uh, to to open the chapter. Yeah, yeah. Um, so after she thinks this, uh, we, we basically follow Scarf Girl as she looks through, uh, she kind of makes her way to her next best choice, her second choice for help, um, kind of reflecting on and being careful to avoid goblin habitats, I suppose, as she makes her way through Jacob's Bell. Yeah, and there's not, I don't think there's really any new information here that we learn about goblins or their habits, like, really, there's maybe some clearer details or examples, mm. but... Like, this section just emphasizes what a blight goblins are. Like, I guess I didn't appreciate the the scale that they can operate on. Mm. Like, it seems like there are basically entire neighborhoods where they're kind of keeping the poor down. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, they're very much uh, a blight on the working class, right? Like, uh, X Maggie explicitly calls out how rich people, eh, goblins won't bother them. But if you're already down on your luck, you're <laughs> this is going to get worse. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a pretty blatant uh, class metaphor. Uh, mm. y- you know, like it, it it would yeah, it's it's barely even a metaphor. Yeah, um, I don't it's, even it's, think it's, it is a metaphor. <laughs> it's just an additional explanation in yeah. the world of pact as to why uh, you know another system that's designed to keep poor people poor. Uh, yeah, and I suppose this kind of feeds back into what Maggie was thinking about with uh, practitioners seeing themselves as kind of a cut above the rest, right? Mm. Um, they're the they're the in the no class and the you know the the ignorant class don't don't have the ability to protect themselves from this stuff. Yeah, uh, altruism with regards to this stuff isn't in uh you know much much supply. Yeah. Um. So uh, the other thing that we get here, which I think is is nice, uh, is we right from the start of this chapter, Xmeg is kind of demonstrating that yeah she doesn't have you know all of her power back yet, but she's got access to her knowledge of goblins and that's kind of a power in and of itself right um she's kind of setting herself back up as as the competent person that we knew i suppose 
yeah yeah it, it's cool um like Wobo uses it to sort of give us a bunch of exposition about mm. uh various things to do with jacob's bell and goblins while mm. sort of tying it into this utility that like ex maggie is using this information to find this house which is why he you know gets to explain it it's it's you know good writing yeah it's a cool trick as well isn't it because she's not like yeah. this goblin knowledge because she's able to kind of see the damage the goblins do she can detect where practitioners live i mean that's that's a cool yeah. trick um and it, it lets her figure out where auntie and ava live uh and then she kind of speaks to some local kids in order to get more info on them I love how she opens, like, the thought. Like, she, she decides she's going to talk to these kids. And she's mm. like, you know, I've got to form some connections yeah. regardless yeah. of how strong they are. And then just immediately goes aggro on them. Um, <laughs> she's like, not this, used to being nice, is she? <laughs> yeah, this whole conversation, she's kind of unnecessarily aggressive. Um, yeah. Just, uh, there's, uh, there's a lot of hostility coming <laughs> off of her uh, in this. Yeah, I'm going to read out the, the way she starts this interaction because I think it's adorable. Uh, she says to them, Hey, little dorks. One boy poked his head out of the hole in progress. Clumps of snow clung to the fabric of his hat. Dorks, we aren't in the 2000s anymore, which is just a great <laughs> comeback. Um, and it's these kinds of little, you know, interactions that uh, are really define why I think I enjoy Wabo's story so much. It's just these kinds of little bits that uh, really make you feel like you're in a living world. Yeah. Yeah, they're fun little side bits that also add a layer of realism, I guess. Like, you know, this just feels like a fun little interaction that could happen. It's it's nice uh it's nice dressing over over the uh the salad of the chapter. Mm. Yeah, totally. Um and again, uh you know, X Maggie has when she wasn't X Maggie, I suppose, uh Maggie showed some proficiency in in handling conversations like this. Speaking with Blake and Rose specifically, right? She she kind of was able to hold her own in some of these conversations. Um, and and this conversation she has with the kids kind of gives me a bit of that vibe. Uh, again, continuing the the theme, I think, of this chapter of ex Maggie getting her mojo back, I suppose. Um, which is probably due to just the fact that she was able to have a bit of a rest, get connections and kindness from Sandra and, and kind of come back into the world a bit more. Yeah um no i agree i think i think she's uh, mentally in a better position than she was 12 hours ago um but she seems even more aggressive than <laughs> usual or that yeah, she needed fair. to be in this and and like so while i agree that maybe she's sort of getting a mojo back particularly by the end of the chapter mm. like you know part of me thinks that some of this is just her kind of subconsciously venting a bit of her uh like anger and and paranoia and and all that uh like into this conversation well if we want to get even more paranoid about it i mean we know that she's been she's obviously pretty weak at the moment and when this came up with blake uh the idea that fell had was something's got to fill the gaps there um so yeah. maybe the fact that she's more aggressive is a sign of something i don't know <laughs> something getting in there maybe maybe um the other thing this conversation with the kids does for us is kind of plant seeds for Andy and Ava's characterization that will kind of get backed up later. Um, one bit in particular is uh, X-Maggie finds out that Andy kind of helped take care of some unnamed other problem that was affecting the, the kind of people in his neighborhood, um, which is just a nice thing to do. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I, I didn't get to go back and read uh, whenever Andy showed up. I think it was the very last chapter of... Th 
arc three, mm. except for Sandra's interlude. Yeah. Um. Uh, I yeah. I didn't get a chance to jump into that, which I really wanted to because. I mean, most of what we saw of Andy in this chapter lines up with the memory I had of him mm. uh, before, but I think he gave some more details on his past, and um, he he does just seem like a cool dude. Yeah, and you know what? I, I think I'm able to kind of put my finger on it a bit more since we've been talking about it, and I think it's the line that I draw in my head between people that I like in this story and people that I don't like is their willingness to stick up for kind of non-practitioners muggles right (laughs) Uh, i think all the characters that i like are the ones who are willing to stick up for muggles and kind of help protect them from this threat they can't know about andy maggie blake uh you know these kind of characters that seem to give a shit and that makes me really like them (laughs) see i think i'm just as bad as the spirits i'm one of the spirits i just like the ones who are fun Oh, like. you're horrible. You're, yeah. you're encouraging Bordrick and his kind of shenanigans. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so so ex-Maggie keeps talking to these kids and the kids kind of give her enough info on Andy and Ava's house that she kind of feels comfortable knocking on the front door, which of course goes horribly because Ava's the only one home and Ava answers. And Ava, as we will find out, is a fucking psychopath. So... Ex Maggie was pretty much told that Andy mm-hmm. wasn't going to be there. I, I guess time's an issue, but mm. I don't know. It seems like it might have been worth just just waiting it out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I, look, uh, Ex Maggie didn't really achieve anything in the time that it was just her and Ava, except <laughs> maybe making Andy feel bad enough that he goes along <laughs> with her plan later. So, I don't uh, know. I was thinking that, like, in a roundabout way, maybe everything good that happens to ex Maggie at the end of mm. this is is really Ava's, you know, doing. She's <laughs> yeah, playing 4D chess, can... Ruben. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure that we can say it's her doing. I mean, kind of, but I don't know if we can say that it's intentional. I don't think oh, she's intentionally almost a dick to people, not. right? Uh, just to make Andy help them because he feels bad. Unless she's brilliantly and consistently putting on a persona, uh, yeah. I. I don't get the impression that this yeah. would have been an intentional thing by her. No, um, she's a psychopath though, right? Like, and I guess we're going to hit this beat a few times throughout their conversation, but she's just fucking with ex Maggie for no reason. Um, and I think she gets the award for the first human character that I actually actively hate. Like even, <laughs> even like Duncan is like, you hate him in a fun kind of way, right? But Ava, yeah, yeah, sure. just there's no redeeming qualities about her, in my opinion. I mean, I think the... At least none that we've seen so far. I, I think the the line that makes her seem, like, psychotic mm. is, is really when uh, X-Maggie first opens the door and Eva's pointing a crossbow at her and uh, X-Maggie thinks her eyes, not the crossbow, were the most concerning thing. Yeah. And, and I think that just immediately gets you into that headspace of... Yeah. This girl is not fucking around. Um, mm-hmm. It turns out she actually is, but like <laughs> in, in a really fucked up way. Yeah, I mean, this is her idea of I don't know, goofing off. I guess. I mean, I, I think Andy said some stuff about her. I really wish I could have gone back and read like three point six or whatever it was, but mm. um, I I don't know. I get the impression she's just someone who is probably in a really shit situation and is just you know really angry and lashing out. Mm. I know. I, I guess you know. Not that that really um, makes any of it okay, but well, I, like I, I'm not look, ready to write her off as just a psycho. She's just yeah. someone who is not 
coping well at all. Of course, and of course I know that by saying that this is a character with no redeeming qualities, the ne- the very next chapter is going to be an interlude that makes me totally on her <laughs> side, but um, like everybody in this world is in a position of being backed into a corner and not having any way to escape their fate, right? Like literally every character we've met has had some aspect of that theme to their story. Yeah, um, I mean, Blake apparently led, Andy himself. Yep. Um, Fell. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of ways to handle this situation, and yeah, uh, Eva's not doing a good job of it. Yeah, so I, I, I'm, I'm gonna allow myself to judge her based on the fact that uh, I'm judging everybody off of an equal standard here, um, <laughs> and she's just not taking a good response, and that's, I don't know. Um, yeah. Anyway, so Ava is holding our, our, our point of view here uh, at crossbow point, lightly interrogating her, but mainly just tormenting her for the fun of it, right? <laughs> Yeah, I was honestly, I mean, we have this sort of fake out where uh, Ava pulls the trigger and yeah. uh, it just doesn't hit X Maggie, um, yeah. but I, I genuinely believed for a second it had because yeah. uh, it wouldn't be the first friggin' protagonist in this story to- <laughs> To get killed. Like, just get a fatal wound. Um, <laughs> to get shot by an arrow. Wait, no, I guess Blake was never shot by the arrows, that was fell into Alexis, but anyway. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, yeah. So I was, I was genuinely very on edge. I like, you know, when, when Andy reveals later that she was just fucking with, uh, I, I was genuinely like, oh, thank goodness. Yeah. I, she, <sighs> yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, Ava is pointlessly cruel. Right. And, and the other thing to me about this is she doesn't, this is something that Andy kind of points out later. She doesn't think through the ramifications of her a- of her actions, right? Um, Andy kind of puts it in a good way when he says, hey, you can't just torment people that you don't plan on killing. And obviously, uh, he and I would disagree <laughs> with some of the parts of this message, but he, he says, you can't just torment somebody that you don't plan on killing because, like, th- that's you're just going to build up a mass of, of people hating you. Um which is basically what I'm thinking, more or less. It's If you blur your <laughs> eyes, that's more or less my point. <laughs> Which is, Ava doesn't think through her actions at all. And it's it just makes me dislike her. Not only is she cruel, she's unintelligent. She definitely strikes me as a very reckless and impulsive person. Um, yeah. Which I believe is a reputation Maggie Holt had a bit herself. Mm. Um, but... Yeah, she she's obviously very violent and reckless, and I, I I do just have this image of someone who's very angry at something that happened in mm. her past and is lashing out. Yeah, um, um, like she explicitly yeah. says she doesn't plan to live to thirty. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean she's clearly, she, you know, Mac, oh, ex Maggie basically says she doesn't seem to be in a good headspace based on how dirty the house is, and like that is not the only clue. Mm. Yeah, no, for sure. Um. You're making me feel a bit bad for her, Elliot, but I'm gonna <laughs> stick to my guns here. I I, I okay. dislike her. I'm just gonna. I'm keeping it there until we get to some <laughs> Ava interlude. I'm writing her off. Um, <laughs> but luckily, uh, the the cool twin comes back home. Andy comes back home in time to to rein her in a bit. Um, he gets back home and and immediately the situation kind of starts to de-escalate. Yeah. Well, I mean, Andy. Andy has Eva sort of under control-ish, mostly, yeah, mostly I, under control. I would kind of uh, say it's he he kind of recognizes her bullshit for what it is, and he's kind of able to 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 cut through it. 
Oh, and, and he's safe from it. Like, I, you know, as twins, I guess they have some sort of connection. Like, even though they're clearly very different people, yep. uh, there's something holding them together. Um, I think Andy talked a lot about how he had to protect her um, way back in 3.6. Yep. Uh, I like how he takes her chocolate away as punishment. <laughs> yep. Um, it's great. It's perfect. It feels very petty and, um, you know, like, contrasts with how violent Eva is towards everyone else that yeah, he it, can just sort of take her chocolate away. The, the thing about it that I love is that's a legitimate punishment. Like she is, she seems quite uh, oh, pissed works. off by that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, and yeah, and it gives you the vibe of Andy being kind of her babysitter, right? Um, he's, he's, he's set up a system of rules that she has to follow to keep her kind of in check because otherwise she'll just do dumb shit. Um, like this, like exactly this, and he kind of calls out the new rule of no threatening people that you aren't planning to kill, <laughs> which I guess is an okay rule. Uh, yeah, I mean, he definitely feels like he's playing that role of, you know, the older sibling who's having to look after the littler siblings when the parents aren't able to anymore, Um, but he's not really an older sibling and she's not really mm. a child anymore, so, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, you could, yeah. Uh, I'll just be interested to yeah, see more they, about how they ended up where they where they did. They're like early twenties, mid twenties. I think so. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, too old for some of this shit, Ava. Um, I, and the thing about it as well, I'm just gonna get back on my Ava hate train for a <laughs> second here because as Andy is coming back, Ava says something to the effect of, "Oh, bummer, he's gonna spoil my fun," right? Which again means that she's self aware to know she's self aware enough to know that that what she's doing is dumb. Like, what she's doing is stupid. Uh, she knows it, and she still does it. I, I hate her so much. <sighs> anyway. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Andy's back, and cooler heads prevail. Uh, Ex-Maggie kind of explains her situation to Andy, and Andy kind of immediately realises that he should help her out. Um, she's going to kind of go deal with some others, and so he's kind of like, yep, I'm cool with that. Uh and also, he just seems like a nice guy, so he wants to help her out. Um, uh, yeah, and he yeah, and he agrees to help her out. I suppose it does. It's not a, It's not like pulling teeth. He's just a nice guy, and so practitioners and aligned folk, I suppose, can just be nice to each other. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It, it's interesting because I did still expect him to say no because it's you know handing mm. out weapons to a practitioner when she's made it clear that she's planning on going and confronting another mm. practitioner like you know that that's that's very easily sending the wrong messages um mm. so yeah i don't know I, like i think this is interesting that uh andy's altruism i guess sort of prevails over what's probably the more long-term tactical solution like i could see you know the witch hunters and their role in the council would sort of imply that they're meant to try and stay as neutral as possible uh, yeah but i think there's also an element of them being a resource for the council rather than being outside of the council, you know, like they're not, they are neutral, but in the way that they should help people neutrally, not help nobody. Uh, uh, yeah, but it, like helping her by arming her with a bunch of weapons is, um, yeah, I arguable. Like, I, I suppose. I mean, you're I, right, you're I, right. I agree with this decision that he's made. I'm just interested as into learning a bit more about why he was just almost instantly like, yeah, we can do that. Um, because it's, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, just giving someone weapons. She could obviously swear not to use it on them. Um, but I don't even think he yeah. actually makes her do that. 
<laughs> no, he's very cool about it. He basically opens up, you know, the 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 secret drawer full of guns and says, "Here, choose whatever you want." Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the interesting things, and this was true back in like the arc three as well. Andy and Eva have almost been consistently been the most like openly honest people throughout the story. Mm. Um, I guess Eva yeah. fucks with Maggie a bit this chapter, but um. It's like one of the things Pact has taught me is that forcing everyone to be truthful doesn't really mean anything. In fact, <laughs> I'd actually argue that forcing everyone to tell the truth all the time has actually encouraged deception in the world of Pact because there's this sense of, oh, well, I technically told the truth. Like, it, it's, <laughs> it, yeah. it's almost normalized that kind of technicality deception where everyone's always watching their words and trying to trick each other. And it's almost mm. like the people who don't have to worry about that shit are kind of just the most openly honest. Like Andy uh, is just sort of walking around being like, oh yeah, like, you know, uh, you know, he, he's just sort of like, remember deals, we don't have to stick to deals. If we change our mind, yeah. we can just do that. And, yeah. you know, Eva's pretty open with most people from the looks of it about how she wants to kill them. So, um... <laughs> That's a kind of honesty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, not, it's not a good kind, but it's a kind. Um, no, yeah, you're right. Um, the thing, One of the things I like and I liked when we first saw Andy was when, when Blake asked him a question like, oh, what has Laird done here? His response was like, look, I'm not going to tell you the truth, so d- don't don't worry about <laughs> yeah. it, basically. You- like, don't ask me because I'm not going to tell you the Where truth. Where he could have just lied. Such a, yeah, it's such a refreshing response. I love it. Yeah. So, so yeah, like, I just, I, I find it interesting, and, and I feel like Wabo's trying to send us a message here with, like, the the people in the story who can't, or who can lie are almost the only ones who aren't mm. who else can lie of the characters that we know um oh you've got like we, we've met some other muggles and um the black yeah, guards obviously yeah yeah true. um but most of the black guards we've seen again have been some of the most chill cool people like they're obviously either yeah, blake friend, right. blake's friends right. or yeah the i can't remember the name of the one from the knights but she seemed pretty chill um, I think the only other one I can think of is Paige, but I mean, it seems pretty clear she's she's jumping headfirst <laughs> into this world, so yeah, she doesn't count. Yeah, yeah, um, totally. Maybe honestly, maybe we're confusing cause and effect here, and the types of people who are wanting to tell the truth aren't the types of people who would become practitioners. Yeah, like I can kind of see that as well, right? Yeah, um, it probably goes both ways. Yeah. Um, anyway, so Andy offers X Maggie a, a pick of weapons, and X Maggie picks some weapons. Uh, the only one we actually see her take at this point is a pipe. Um, but pipe in hand, she heads back outside. Oh, this whole time I was just like, but what does the pipe do? Because she was like, does yeah. this actually work? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's definitely set up that we're going to see it. It's a Chekhov's pipe for sure, <laughs> and luckily it pays off before the end of the chapter. Yeah, I was very worried it was going to wait till next chapter, but instead <laughs> we've got a whole other thing for next chapter. Uh, yeah, but I yeah again, I was just very surprised. I I kind of assumed Andy was going to give her a weapon and let her go. Yeah, but no. they just gave her her no, pick. No, he's like, chill. Yeah, yeah, totally. He's uh, Andy for Lord of Jacob's Bell. I'm calling it now. <laughs> he's the he's the coolest character. I mean, anyway. Yeah, honestly, like you're joking, but he seems mm. like he actually cares about people, which is a nice know, attribute right? in leaders, in my opinion. Yeah, but doesn't seem to be a prerequisite for being a lord from oh, what we've seen of Toronto um, with conquest and yeah. elder sister. I don't know. I I found I found Eva and Andy both super fascinating. Mm. I'm keen to learn more about them. I'm hoping for some interludes yeah. at some point. Look, 
I'm keen to see more of Andy. I'll say that. Much. <laughs> um, anyway, weapons in tow. Ex Maggie uh, heads back out onto the town, and almost immediately, the goblins are there. Like she, they, they find her almost immediately. Yeah. Well, I love how difficult the town is becoming for her. Mm. Uh, you know, again, it sort of reminds me of Blake when he was outside the police station after his first run in with Dunko. Uh, mm. where people, like, weren't noticing him because he was sort of barely in the mortal realm. Like, it kind of yeah. feels like that's what's happening to Maggie here, but for some reason the universe is dumping on her even harder than it did Blake uh, <laughs> when it happened to him. Well, I mean, Blake presumably had some karma from Isadora at, at some point around there. Maybe at that point. It's it's not oh, quite clear, but... My memories aren't clear enough, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so, so X-Maggie runs into these goblins, and pretty efficiently is able to kind of reassert herself as a goblin queen, right? Like, she's confident, she's on point. It, again, it kind of feels like she has her mojo back. It's it's cathartic. Yeah, definitely. Like, she's just got a bit of confidence now because of these weapons, and she's obviously in a much better mental state, and she just kind of owns it. Like, she, it's very performative, which obviously would have helped. Um, yeah. The spirit, like, yeah, this, yeah. you know, as someone who just compared themselves to one of the spirits earlier, I was like, this was fucking badass <laughs> and I enjoyed every second of it. And I imagine yeah. the spirits did too. Yeah, uh, you can basically... I mean, the spirits are, are basically analogous to the audience anyway, right? Yeah, to the readers. yeah exactly. So if, if Maggie's impressing us, then she's impressing the spirits. Pretty um, much. I, I want to call out <laughs> what I think might be the grossest uh, <laughs> part of Pact so far. The new front runner. Um, it, what was the previous winner? I think it was... Um, when Blake murders those animals uh, w- uh, around P- Pose's uh, house, that probably was uh, part of the grossest part. Um, some of the stuff Pose said to Laird in the circles was pretty oh, yeah. bad. Yeah. Um, obviously, just the whole chapter after Blake bound Pose in uh, mm-hmm. Craig Doubt's house uh, still haunts me. Yeah. Um, but you know, those were all Pose moments. Along comes Buttsack, possibly <laughs> to upset uh, the crown here. Buttsack says to ex Maggie, of course, When you're dead by my hands, I'm going to cut the skin off of your face, he growled, and I'm going to make it a thong. I'll wear it so your lips are stretched tight against my butthole, and your eyes will have a close-up view of my cock, with balls bulging out one hole and schlong out the other. <laughs> Sorry, I tried to get through that whole thing without giggling, but schlong at the end got to me there. Um, yeah, horrible, horrifying, uh, and still, I like him more than ever. <laughs> um yeah i agree it's horrible it's it's terrifying i kind of loved it though um but these wacky (laughs) goblin antics yeah yeah can you call it wacky when it's so (laughs) brutally violent i I feel like wacky implies a certain like whimsicalness that this level of grime can't deal with i I guess because i was pretty confident in how ex maggie was gonna go i didn't i I didn't find this too frightening I, i i was able to enjoy the absurdity of it i guess is the best is the best word <laughs> yeah. um yeah fair. i mean he has a great follow-up as well um to this where he talks about how he, he'll like imbue it with her ghosts uh to keep it oh, moving God, that's um, such a good line as well <laughs> yeah. uh actually uh, my favorite part of that line is is his opening where he's like i'm gonna kill you so horribly you'll leave like a dozen ghosts which is actually mm-hmm. just like straight up like no context that's a great threat in this world like oh, i was yeah. just like that's Really clever. I'm surprised it came from butt sacking because, mm-hmm. you know, it was surrounded by all <laughs> yeah. this, like, 
gross stuff but like in the middle there i was like that's a really solid like threat he was, pre- he was prepping that since a few nights yeah ago. probably <laughs> since last night whatever it was um yeah so we find out what the what Chekhov's pipe was for uh it's it's a pipe shotgun uh she slams the two parts of the pipe together and it shoots out shrapnel something presumably and and pretty efficiently incapacitates buttsack um and with buttsack incapacitated x maggie kind of uses this to to threaten the other goblins enough that they back off uh, and then she carts his body into johannes's domain for some reason we're not sure why she's dragging him by hands that she's knifed together as well which is pretty intense yeah um, but yeah, yeah she's so keeping... he's still alive at this point right yeah like she's keeping him alive for some reason and yep. I can't. Who knows? I can't <laughs> wait to find out what. Yeah, we'll see. I suppose. Um, and and before the chapter ends, X Maggie has a run in with a with a ogre, um, who approaches her and and she says, "I'm a practitioner." She said, "You can't touch me." Johannes's rules. When the ogre spoke, it was with a British-ish accent. Not for long, little girl. I should have put on a British accent, <laughs> but I'm not confident in my ability to do it. Um, anyway. I just love this as the end of the chapter because it's got the ominous cliffhanger of of the ogre saying "not for long," which implies who knows what. Maybe that she's going to become other enough soon that she's fair game. So she's not going to be a practitioner anymore. That was my that was my understanding of what he meant. Yeah, or Johannes's rules are going to change. Maybe. Um, but the idea of this giant ogre having a, a posh British accent is also <laughs> quite hilarious. So it's a it's a great uh, end to the chapter for two reasons. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, villains with a British accent's a bit of a trope. So um, the spirits, <laughs> but they're always like <laughs> the spirits are forcing all all villains to have British accents. <laughs> but usually villains with British accents are like dapper, whereas <laughs> this is a giant ogre. I mean, maybe he's dapper. I don't know. Anyway. Um, and then uh, then the final line of the chapter is, she set her jaw and continued forward, moving more easily, even with her limp and bleeding burden. Um, yeah, moving more easily. She's back in form. She's got her mojo back. Yeah. And I love how these two sort of end bits contrast each other. Like uh, the, the ogre has that ominous, you know, not for long little girl which sort of reminds you the shaky ground that our protagonist is on right now uh Mm. but then we sort of ended on this note of she's she's picking it up a bit i don't know how much of it's because she's in whatever the fuck you call johan's domain like is it the spirit world the vestige Mm. world i don't know Um, (laughs) you know she's she's a bit stronger right now um and yeah, true. That might be it, actually. Yeah, like, it could be that. It could be a little bit because she just did some kick-ass shit. Like, could be both. But, you know, there's sort of, like, this little optimistic bit right after we get the reminder that she's in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and that rounds out this chapter. Mm. A, a, a moderately short chapter, but kind of a nice one to set up uh, where Maggie's going. Sorry, ex-Maggie. And showing her kind of getting back, clawing back some of herself. Yeah. And so, quickly before we go, I think one thing I wanted to talk about um, is, so I think more than any of Blake's arcs, we've got a pretty decent look at, like, the suburbs of Jacob's Bell, Mm. and, like, unless X Maggie's narration is particularly biased, it does seem like it's in a pretty sorry state as a town, like, like, uh... Yeah. You know, one of the things that we were getting hit with a lot early on in the story was that a lot of people hated the Thorburns because apparently the Thorburn house was, for some reason, the main thing stopping Jacob's Bell from growing. 
Uh, mm. And so people hated the Thorburns because they were getting in the way of everyone, like, you know, having their property prices go up and, and getting rich. Yeah. And I mean, if, if, you know, if that's remotely true, based on what we saw from ex Maggie's point of view around the town, that actually seems kind of fair. Because, um, mm. you know, we've hated on the council for uh, keeping this, this shitty situation where they're keeping the, the downtrodden down. And, uh, you know, if, if the Thorburn house is a big part of that, then at least Rose Senior is, you know, on the chop for that as well. I'm kind of not sold on the idea that bigger city means better for everybody, though, right? Like, I don't know. I, I guess we we can kind of contrast Toronto, the big city, Jacobs Bell, the medium-sized city, and we saw Maggie's hometown as an example of what can happen when things go really bad in a small town, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I I do think the net change would be positive because my understanding is as jacob's bell grows it gets a lord that turns it into more of a real world city as well like you mm. know the, the two worlds line up in that way and so I, I agree it's probably not better for everybody but i think the net gains would be probably positive i don't know we might be getting a bit too political here but i kind <laughs> of i can kind of compare it to how uh, you know if if the economy grows in general maybe that will help kind of the middle class a bit, but the person it really benefits, the people it really benefits are the, you know, the elites, right? Um, yeah. I, I can easily see that. And of course it could go either way, obviously, but I, I can kind of easily see a reality where Jacobsburg grows to whatever, a, a larger city, and the people who benefit are the Duchamps and, and the Bahames, and the others just have more of an area of, of kind of impoverished people <laughs> to feed upon, as kind of happens in big cities. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too negative. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. All right, so before we wrap up this <laughs> this chapter, uh, I wanted to dive into some comments from uh, five years ago when this chapter first came out. Uh, we've, we've gone through and found some comments that we liked uh, to see what people were saying five years ago. Uh, Elliot, do you want to start us off? Yes, so I've picked out a comment by Unmaker. Um, and, and Unmaker, you know, just sort of has an interesting idea talking about how one of the reasons Eva might be really effective uh, as a witch hunter mm-hmm. is because she's kind of so psychotic and, or like, you know, maybe maybe can, can just sort of be unpredictable because she's kind of pathological. Like, um, mm. what Unmaker sort of talks about is this, there's not that much room for practitioners to go insane. Like, you, you have mm. to go insane in a very specific way because most types of insanity will probably cause you to you know maybe force forswear forswear yourself right at some point yeah. you know like whereas um eva is kind of free to get as crazy as she wants and she can still <laughs> be effective if, in some ways so i don't know yeah. i just thought that was an interesting idea on like particularly in general why, why witch hunters can be so effective um because yeah. practitioners mostly deal with others and others also seem to universally have to tell the truth. So yeah. um, witch hunters really stand out uh, for that reason. I don't want to play Ava's advocate here, but I will for a second, because the other thing that this makes me think is I get the sense that a lot of practitioners, when they go up against others or rogue practitioners or anything, try and be too clever, right? Like you try and outwit it. Yeah. You, you try and outwit the thing. You don't just put a crossbow bolt through its head, right? Whereas Ava totally is the kind of person to just put a crossbow bolt through its head, which I, I kind of see how that would cut through a lot of the risks that uh, other practitioners and others would, would kind of set up. 
yeah. for, for defenses. Um, like, we sort of saw that in, in this chapter. Like The way she just fired the crossbow bolt, the second X maggie said something that was outside yeah. the rules, it was just sort of yeah. so sudden. I was like, oh, shit. She she actually sticks to the rules she sets up, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is quite uncommon. Yeah, even the people who have to stick to the rules that they set up don't do that as well. As yeah. well. yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I like that. Uh, I don't, I still don't like Ava, but I, I, <laughs> look, I'm closer to coming to, I'm almost close to respecting her. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not yet, though. Um, uh, so my comment that I pulled out was by, uh, Farmer Bob One. Um, and I really like this comment. I'm just going to read out the whole thing because it's quite short and I think it kind of gets to the point. Um, Farmer Bob One says, Why does Scarf Girl fear Andy more than Ava? Seems fairly simple to me. She sees Andy as more otherish and Ava as more goblinish. Goblins might wound or kill her, and Other has made a bid to steal herself. Scarf Girl understands Ava more than she understands Andy, which I think is just a really good insight. Um, Ava is more, like, openly violent and possibly unpredictable, but X Maggie's kind of used to dealing with that, and so it's a bit more in her wheelhouse, whereas Andy, Andy will outsmart her right andy is clearly very competent um and while he is semi-moral he obviously isn't overly moral because of what he does for for you know being a witch hunter um yeah so that kind of explains why x maggie is more wary of andy than ava even though ava is the more overtly dangerous one i i think it's an interesting counterpoint to to the comment i just sort of brought up um and i and i mm. guess it depends on the type of practitioner like maybe this just really speaks to what a great combo these two yeah. are because someone like Laird probably has not much to worry about from someone like Andy or you know because mm. they're going to be in a situation where they're trying to outthink each other meanwhile Eva will just run in with a crossbow and start shooting yeah um, or just wait near a coffee shop or whatever and, and take him down with a crossbow ball. yeah exactly <laughs> whereas for someone very different like Maggie like Andy's the one who really scares her because she knows he's he's going to be able to outthink her whereas Eva's just mm. you know Ma Maggie or ex Maggie and and Eva are just going to like meet each other in the middle charging in yeah and I do kind of agree that they're that they're ex Maggie is probably closer to an Ava than an Andy right she she yeah, is yeah. quite yeah um yeah anyway so those are some comments from 5 years ago always insightful stuff in these comment sections I love reading them out um but unfortunately, that's the end of our chapter for today. Uh, thanks everyone for joining us. If you have a favourite comment that was left in the comments of 8.5, or a favourite comment in your head that you want to leave now, <laughs> the best place to do that is in the discussion thread for this episode, which you can find linked down in the show notes below. Uh, and don't forget, we're in the middle of a discussion question. Oh, uh, yes. Which is, who do you think should be or could be the Lord of Jacob's Bell? I forget which one mm. we ended up going with, but... Uh, should be. It'll be it'll be in the Reddit thread. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, uh, feel free. I, I don't think we actually said when we're going to be reading those out. So we're going to wait till 9.1, uh, which is a week from today. So, yep. uh, you know, try to get them in, in I guess, the this chapter's comments or 8.6's um mm -hmm. we got some bonus episodes we're back in that time of the month again <laughs> when there are bonus episodes yeah um so so you got a bit of time but yeah uh don't forget the discussion question yeah and if this if this arc continues the way it has we're going to be seeing more of the major players and you'll get a real chance to evaluate who you think should be the lord based <laughs> off of the interactions that we see yeah yeah definitely um for more information on our show you should go to the doof media website which is doofmedia.com easy to remember um Listed there is more information about Deep Impact, as well as all the other great shows on the Doof Media Network, of which there are many. 
Yes, and you know, while you're on that doofmedia.com website, uh, there should be a link somewhere to the Doof Patreon, Patreon.com/doofmedia. Mm-hmm. Yep, and uh, the entire Doof uh, Media Network is supported by patrons, so uh, your your continuing support will allow us to keep making cool shows like uh, this one. We've got Ward, my personal favorite, which is Vout of You, which is my favorite. Uh, I guess Bachelorette slash Bachelor discussion cast slash slice of life cast. Yeah, I think sometimes they talk about movies, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I've heard that, <laughs> but I've I've never actually heard them talk about a movie yet. <laughs> no, it's it's good fun. Uh, I definitely encourage checking it out. Um, another thing that I would encourage checking out is Wildbo's Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Wild. Oh, I'm. Bungled up that one, sorry. Which is patreon.com slash wildbow. Uh, if you head to Wildbow's Patreon, you can support him and ensure that he keeps writing all these great stories, like this here one here packed. Yeah, it's been pretty good so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we are like halfway through now? I think, yeah, I think we're almost exactly halfway through. Hopefully hopefully nice. soon I'll learn who is in our cover art. Um, <laughs> but anyway. Uh, <laughs> it's not a real character. It's, it's the longest of long cons. Um... Anyway, uh, 8.6 will be on Monday the 22nd, so we'll see you all then. See you then. Bye.